change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podscuity. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, another week, another episode where we got a lot of stuff to get into. We've got another player pyramid on the way. That's going to take up a chunk of time. But I wanted to start this week by talking about the other love that we here on the show have, and that is professional wrestling. Anyone who listens to this show with any regularity knows that both Mike and I are pretty big wrestling fans. We have been for quite some time. I'm assuming you started watching, you know, late 80s, early 90s when you were about six or seven years old. Is that would I be correct in that assumption? Oh, yeah. I go into the uh, the video store and renting, you know, WrestleMania three and WrestleMania four and WrestleMania five. It was definitely that uh, uh, rock and roll era. Of the, yeah. Uh, the, the 80s, Hogan, Macho Man, yeah. that stuff. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Same yeah. here. I, I got it. Obviously, I got into it a little earlier because I'm a little older than you. But yeah, 86, 87 was around the time I got into it. Hulk Hogan was like my hero as a kid. But this past weekend. The biggest wrestling show around, WrestleMania, took place. So, uh, Mike, I'm just going to ask, like, I know you're mostly an AEW guy now, and that's cool. Did you watch any WrestleMania, see any clips of everything, anything that went down at SoFi this past weekend, or was it just off your radar completely? Uh, I didn't watch any of it, but I know what happened. Like, okay. I'm a guy that doesn't really watch WWE, but I know what's going on. You keep up with the stories and what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I watched both nights. I th- uh, The first night I thought was tremendous. Second night was was pretty good, but that first night kill. I love the two-night WrestleMania, but we're not here to talk about just WrestleMania. One of the things that happened during WrestleMania occurred on the Saturday night. There was a segment with, and this is going to sound like a Mad Lib that I'm putting together, with The Miz and Snoop Dogg. And one of my favorite current football players, San Francisco 49ers tight end George Kittle, got involved in this segment. So Snoop made this impromptu match because apparently he had those powers at WrestleMania uh, between The Miz and Pat McAfee. I think a lot of people know who Pat McAfee is, has the massive YouTube show, was a punter in the NFL with the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, his wrestling connections. He was an announcer on SmackDown before he went to do some college football stuff. Pat McAfee, maybe as a football player, isn't very well known, but he's he's pretty well known in like the media industry now mm-hmm. because of, of his like YouTube show and podcast is pretty popular. He had, the, Snoop made a match between McAfee. He was returning first time. I think he'd been there since the Royal Rumble. And the Miz, Miz is wearing a suit. McAfee gets gets out there. He goes and Miz goes out to the floor, sees Kittle. Gets in Kittle's face. Kittle jump. Kittle's a huge wrestling fan. Like so, he jumps the barricade, clotheslines Miz. McAfee pins him. They win. They celebrate and all that stuff. So like, Kittle has admitted he's a massive wrestling fan. You go on his Twitter page. The header picture he has is of Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's gone by the nickname of Stone Cold Kittle before. And maybe a little more up your alley, Mike. He was gifted a custom luchador mask by Penta from AEW when the Niners played in Mexico last year. They even had it on ESPN. Like. uh 
oh, George Kittle met one of his his wrestling idols, uh, and he gave mm-hmm. him a, a customized like Penta mask in like the 49ers colors. And Kittle's known to do like Penta's taunt, you know, that Zero Miero thing that Penta does a million mm-hmm. times a match. He does that. Kittle do that like gets first down, makes a big play. So he's like he's 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 a massive fan of, of the sport of the world of sports entertainment. But his involvement got me thinking about the CFL and wrestling. And we know that there's a long connection between the Canadian Football League and, and pro wrestling. Like fans of the show obviously know about Angela Mosca's forays into the wrestling world as King Kong Mosca. I think members of our audience that are of a certain vintage, if they were wrestling fans, might remember when the late great Owen Hart wore an Argos jersey during a WWF pay-per-view event in 1998. That was at Cops Coliseum that I was in the building for. And actually, if you go back on the WWE Network and watch that event, you actually catch a younger me wearing an NWO t-shirt and my Oakland athletics hat that I wore everywhere at that time in the crowd, just after Owen's match, when he fought uh, edge, who's also a Canadian mm-hmm. guy, but Owen came I was out there too. With shirt. Pardon. I was there too. You were, you were at breakdown. Oh, yeah. I went to breakdown as well. Yeah. Oh, look at that. We were, we were yeah. in the same vicinity, in the same building. It took, it took years later before we came into contact with right. each other, but that's a cool little bit of personal history there. But, you know, everyone knows about The Rock and the Stampeders and, you know, guys like Gene Kaniski, Lex Luger, Tito Santana, Ron Simmons, guys like that all kind of spent, like, big wrestling stars, especially, like, you know, Gene Kaniski was a world champion, Lex Luger, Hall of Famer, Ron Simmons, Hall of Famer, Tito Santana, Hall of Famer. Like, all these guys spent some time playing in the CFL. That's pro wrestling, the WWE and the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, not the CFL Hall of Fame. But they played in the CFL before they got into wrestling. And, um, did Mike, I... Just quickly, I'm sure you know this, but I'm just going to ask. Roman Reigns, current WWE champion. Do you know he played for the for Edmonton in the late 2000s? Spent the yes. 2008 season with them. And did you know that his biggest game was against our Ticats? I did not know that, no. Yeah. I, looked I knew that the, he was a part of the, uh, the, the Edmonton team, but I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, yeah. He, he finished it. He played in six games in 2008. He recorded nine tackles and his biggest game came against our Ticats. He had five tackles and a forced fumble in that game. So... You know, just the connections with the CFL and, and you know, I used to write a lot of like wrestling related content for three down because I have noticed that there's a lot of crossover in that CFL wrestling fandom. I don't know if it has to do with Canada being a big wrestling foothold or what has it, but you can always count on, on, you know, interacting with CFL fans. Then you kind of see when the big wrestling events happen. You're like, oh, that guy's talking about wrestling and that girl's talking about wrestling. And you kind of see it kind of all, our, our loves kind of all come together. So anyway, that history aside, what Kittle's inclusion over the WrestleMania weekend had me thinking about was what current CFL players would be perfect for the world of pro wrestling, Mike, like off the top of your head, any guys that you think would make really good pro wrestlers or just kind of fit in that world, cut a promo, do the physicality. Is there anyone that comes to mind? Well, I got, I got, I got two present players and one from the past. I got oh, okay. Dylan Wynn. I got Dylan Wynn. Because oh, that's a good pick. He's just so intense. And I feel like if he had the opportunity, he could cut, a really good promo. And I, th- I just feel like he would, you know, put it all into, you know, his in-ring work. He would, uh, you know, be working at his craft constantly and he would become one of the best. Um, I got Adriano Belli, the yep. uh, kissing bandit. Yeah. That just makes sense because he's such a personality yep. that uh, would bloom in wrestling. And then I got Chris Edwards just because he, he's been... Uh, <laughs> He's been of a bit of a promo cutter, bit of a nasty guy. I could I could see him being a perfect heel. Yeah, you know the and the Dylan Wynn thing makes sense too. He does the Rick Rude Valvina sack dance, yep. so you know yep. that there's some familiarity with the product there too. So you know, I, Dylan Wynn's in his like 
late twenties. So he probably came up just after, if he watched any as a kid, he came up after the attitude era, but he still remembers some of that stuff. So that all kind of makes sense. I got a bunch here. I mean, Simone is the obvious choice, you know, mm-hmm. trash yep. talker. He's got the body of a pro wrestler, you know, the bald head, the beard, like he just mm-hmm. looks like he would fit in. Uh, James Wilder Jr., who was released by the Elks last week, he had a trial with WWE a few years ago, so I, he must think that he could do. I, I, I don't. I've obviously he never he never signed with WWE, but he must think that he could do it well. And I actually think like give again, like look at him. He's a body guy. Like he, that's someone that Vince would have loved. Um, Sean Lemon is someone I think would be a natural heel. Again, great trash talker, big physically imposing guy. Think he could really do well. Jeremiah Mazzoli. I get, you know, the Samoan roots could join like Roman and the Usos and the bloodline, (laughs) bloodline. like be that strong, silent type. Like they have that in, in solo Sokoa, but he could be kind of that second guy, maybe be solo's tag team partner. Uh, Andrew Harris would have fit right in, in the steroid era of the 1980s. So (laughs) it's an obvious choice. Is he not? There you go. Um, (laughs) Speedy Speedy B perfect cruiserweight for the, for back in the day. He could have been cruiserweight. He could have been tag team partners with Rey Mysterio. You know, he's got that. I feel like he would have been a high flyer, obviously with at that weight. I think he, again, you think of wrestlers, you do think of like the big muscle found guys. I don't remember him actually. Who? Speedy B. I don't know who that is. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Fine, fine, fine. And my last one here, uh, Luches Purifoy. And this is simply because He's got that clown mask that he wears everywhere. So he's got the right. entrance down, Pat. He's a very physical player. I think he he's if he's got the gimmick in football, imagine translating that gimmick to like the, the lights go down. It's like a spotlight just on him. He's wearing that creepy clown mask. He does some, you know, creepy walk to the ring. And then he gets in there. And because he's so athletic and physical, he could do a bunch of flippy flop moves and all that other sort of stuff. So. I put maybe a little more thought to this than I thought I should, but I there was there was a bunch of guys. Mazzoli was my favorite just because I think he fits in what with what is the top act in wrestling right now. But yeah, so those are my guys. So uh, there we go. You you I I, th- I loved yours. So we got what about ten or ten or eleven mm-hmm. guys there now that we think could hopefully one day we'll enter the world of professional wrestling. But we can talk wrestling aside for now. We can actually move on to the reason people are here. They're not here to hear us talk about WWE and AEW. They're here to talk about the Tiger Cats and the CFL. But not a ton of news this week, but we do have the team unveiling the Grey Cup logo for November's Grey Cup game at Tim Hortons Field. This logo broke from the recent template that has been around for about a half dozen years or so. It's a more colorful and just kind of different from all those logos we've seen basically since the 100th Greek cup in 2012 they've they, there was a spell there for about five years where they were they were like that circular one and then the recent one with like kind of the stadium in the background but they all kind of looked the same what did you think when you saw this new logo last week were you a fan of it did you not like it like what were your initial thoughts i liked it just because they put more effort into the logos of uh the previous years um it's been pretty bland like since you said since the uh 100th great cup so i was just happy that it was different and they put some effort into it and uh yeah i liked it yeah same here and the thing was like if you look at like there were some i think they're great cup logos from like 2002 to 2010 or 2012 or so they all kind of followed the same template too but they seemed more unique like though i think winnipeg hosted in 2006 and there's like a bison uh, on there like it mm-hmm. even though they were the same template they felt fresh but these more recent ones have just felt like we're going to take the same sort of like basically what it looked like recently was like they took the CFL logo, like the outline of it, and then plastered some crap inside, like Grey Cup, whatever, the city, yeah. and then just kind of a 
you know, rudimentary looking stadium that, that looks like the stadium they're going to play in. And then like a great, like the actual great cup trophy. So when I saw this one, uh, my initial was like, Oh, you know, it's got a pop of color to it. There's a lot of yellow on there. It looked more vibrant. It just looked different. And I was, I was just happy that the CFL would go in a direction or at least, or again, I don't know if the CFL directors or the Ticats did it, but go in a different direction. And I understand, you know, the Gary cup game was here just a couple of years ago. Be kind of hard to basically just repurpose the old logo and slap a new number on it. Although that would be very CFL to do that, you know, mm-hmm. money and all that other sort of stuff. But I'm glad that they went away from it. I'm looking forward to seeing what the merchandise looks like. I do have some Grey Cup 20, 2021 merchandise here. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping that we get some cool stuff there as well. You and I aside, though, and, and for the most part, what I saw online was it wasn't universally accepted. But the initial reaction from a lot of people were pretty positive. But then... You know, a couple hours later, you start to get the backlash that and the big one that I saw was that the new emblem does not feature anything that's like distinctly Hamilton. Uh, what do you make of that criticism? Is that just people looking for something to be negative about? Or do you think that that critique has merit? No, I, I think people are looking to complain. I mean, they're they're saying that the buildings in the background weren't any building from Hamilton. Mm-hmm. and Like. I just, I don't care. Like, I'm just happy that it's, you know, they incorporated some yellow into it. Um, kind of like the team colors. You know, I remember in 1996. Now, it's it's nostalgic to me, and I have the jacket here, but it was red and black for some reason. Yeah, that that, get... that that logo could have been for any Grey Cup in any city, and it mm-hmm. like, nothing distinct about it at all. Yeah, exactly. And the colors weren't right. And it just, I don't know, I just feel like, People like to complain, and um, they found something to complain about with this logo, and I just don't get it. Yeah, see, the building thing, I always took that as kind of – because everything's kind of minimalist now anyway. You like you see a lot of minimalists in, in logos. Like, you don't want things to be too busy, and I took those buildings to be representations of kind of the downtown core, and I know that it wasn't like – oh, this building is definitely this or this building is definitely that, but that's the initial – my initial reaction – like I, I get the criticism that there's nothing distinctly Hamilton about it in its art, but like you said, there's a ton of black and, and a lot of yellow in it, which I think that's something sort of the team has been pushing. Like I remember last year they changed all of the the banners around the stadium to feature more of the. I mean, they say gold, it's yellow. Like I, it's yellow. it is. Like I understand that it's mm-hmm. it, it is a form of gold, and if you look at like actual sort of like color charts it is a version of gold just like the pittsburgh steelers are you know all the pittsburgh teams really it's but it's essentially the same color and i mean edmonton's the same way edmonton they call them the green and gold and it's it's basically the same color yellow so it's yellow but that i think that that's the distinct nature of it like you i think the colors are more synonymous with the team than and the city than any sort of like because honestly when you think of hamilton even now you think of steel mills there's not really – it's not yeah. like Toronto that has, like, the CN Tower or Ottawa that has the Parliament buildings. Like, there's not a ton of super distinct, like, oh, you see that building, that means Hamilton. Other cities kind of have that, you know what I mean? Like, so, I, I don't know. Like, I understand people's, like, oh, you, but at the same time, I just think that you use the color as a way to make it based in the home city more so than maybe some things around the city that – even if you're if you're not from the city, mean nothing to you, and if you are, might not mean anything to you either. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I I like the aspect of the Grey Cup being right in the middle of it, yes. and just kind of like looming over the city. You know what I mean? Yep. I think that's a cool aspect of it. So, 
to me, it's a, it's a fine logo. It's better than the previous ones, and I'm happy with it. Yeah, I'd be happy here. to buy a sweatshirt uh, with that logo on it. Yeah, if, if they pop out some T-shirts, black T-shirt. Yeah. I, like, I, what I would really like is that logo because they don't do a ton of this on a yellow T-shirt. Like a lot of the tie cat stuff. I mean, they went away from it a little bit when they did the the hammer stuff, like the made in the hammer stuff. They they incorporated a lot of a lot of gray in that. I'm actually wearing my made in the hammer dry fit t-shirt right now that's it's a gray t-shirt with a, a yellow h on it i would like to see a like give me that shirt yellow with the logo on it like maybe if you do a black outline around it so it pops out more but i'm with you man like i would i would rock a, a shirt or or a hat or a toque with that logo on it without question i think i think it looks pretty sharp moving on that's it for the news this week so we're out of that but we do have to continue our breakdown of the Tiger Cats positional groups. And this week, Mike, you and I are going to focus on the team's receivers. Tiger Cats made some changes, not a lot, but some changes to the receiving core from a year ago. Gone are a pair of starters from last season in Stephen Dunbar Jr. and Lamar Durant. Dunbar signed a lucrative contract in free agency with the Elks. And Durant is headed to where all ex-Tiger Cats seem to go now. And he is now a member of the Ottawa Red Blacks. But the Ticats did bring in some reinforcements, most notably in the form of former Saskatchewan Rough Riders receiver Duke Williams. The team also spent big money to keep last year's leading receiver Tim White in black and gold for at least one more season. And the team will be hoping to get back veteran receiver Braylon Addison after he missed most of last season after rupturing his Achilles against the Argos last August. 2023 will also see some familiar-ish faces return, such as Poppy White, Anthony Johnson, and Terry Goodwin. Uh, or maybe, no, I think it's Godwin. It's Godwin. I got to remember Godwin. I always say Goodwin and I'm, yeah, it's, it's Godwin. Yep. Godwin um, yep. and they will be joined by, at least for training camp, by a bevy of newcomers, including, uh, players such as Darvin Kidsey Jr., Kendrick Price Jr., Leandre Gallimore, Omar Bayless, and Khalil Lewis. So we'll get to the Canadian receivers in a bit, but let's stop here and talk about the team's group of Americans. And we should begin with Tim White, who finished fourth in the league last year with 1,265 yards and first in the league with 94 catches. Now that he has that big contract, he's he's the guy in this receiving core now, Mike. What do you expect from him in his third season in the league? I expect an uptick from last year. Last year, like you mentioned the numbers, I expect him to be around 1,500 receiving yards, you know, around the same amount of touchdowns, maybe a couple more. But I expect big things from Tim White this year, just like I expected last year. But even more so uh, this season, because he has an, a year under his belt, and he he's got, like you said, he's got that big contract. I think this is a breakout season for him, even more so than last year. So um, I would expect him to be like top three, leading the league in receiving yards and touchdowns. Yeah, I what I need to see from him now that he's the man is I need to see more consistency on a game-to-game basis. He had some massive games last year, but do you remember at the start of the season, we were pretty low on him because he just, mm-hmm. I think he had one big game early in the year and then was kind of hovering around like the 40, 50, 60-yard mark most weeks. And for a guy who now is in the upper echelon of receiver pay, that's simply not good enough. He's got some guys around him now. Duke Williams is there. Hopefully Braylon Addison will be back. They'll hopefully take some some pressure off of him, but he needs to be the guy that leads this team in essentially every category. He's a big play threat, so I know that that's still going to be there. He's got speed to burn, so that's still going to be there. Mm-hmm. But what I need to see is some consistency from him, and I'm with you. I, I'm I'm hoping for, you know, 95 to 100 catches would be fine, but I need those yards to be 13, 14, 15, 16. High. Like, I need to see him put together a monster season just because when you're paying a guy that much, 
he needs to perform to that contract. So yep. maybe that's a little unfair of me, but that that's sort of what I expect and, and hope to see out of him this year. Yeah, and I, I expect he expects the same thing. You know, obviously he has a ton of confidence. And he, he's going to want to put up those big numbers and, as well. And the thing about Tim White is, I'm looking at the chart here, and he says he's 5'10", but the guy plays like he's 6'2", right? Mm-hmm. He can go up and get the ball, as we saw uh, late-game heroics against Calgary last season. He's a guy that can go up and get the ball. So uh, huge expectations for him this season. He should be, you know, one of the top receivers in the league, especially yeah. with, uh, you know, with Bo, you know, with a star quarterback throwing him the ball. If he's healthy all year, you know, there's going to be big things to come. And he's one of the reasons Bo wanted to come to Hamilton. He he mentioned mm-hmm. that in in his opening press conference. He wanted to play with guys like Tim White. So a lot of expectations on Tim White's shoulder this year. We're going to see if he can pick it up. Uh, speaking of talent, though, like Duke Williams, heck of a talent. We know he has all the talent in the world. He dominated in 2018, but that was five years ago. And that 25-year-old that tormented DBs across the league is now almost 30. And we know that football ages you fast. We know he's coming off a slew of injuries last year that limited him to just eight games in what was his first full season back in the CFL since getting his NFL shot. And, of course, there's all the extracurricular activities that come with having a guy like Duke on your – not having a guy like Duke, but having Duke on your team. And these days back to when he was kicked off his college team at Auburn all those years ago. So – this is not just a, he was a menace in Saskatchewan and, and that was it. He's had controversy has followed him throughout his essentially whole football life. So Mike, mm-hmm. what do you hope the Ticats can get at Duke this year? Can he get back to that top five conversation type guy? And maybe most importantly, can he keep his nose clean for a full season and actually remain a Tiger Cat throughout the entirety of the 2023 season? Two very good questions, and I'm not sure he can be a top five guy anymore, but I could see top ten. Mm-hmm. I could see Duke Williams getting around a thousand yards receiving, maybe a little bit more to contribute to this team. I think that they have done their due diligence with him. Like obviously Duke can say all the right things and then be a knucklehead when he gets on this team. That could happen. But I just feel like Orlando Steinhauer and company are going to control him and, uh, you know, make him not be a knuckle beak. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think that he's going to be he's going to be a good boy this season. And if he's not, I think they'll they'll punish him quickly. So I expect him to ba- have a huge bounce back season. I expect him to keep his nose clean. I don't want any distractions on or off the field. I don't want him to be taking penalties when he's you know in street clothes on the the sidelines you know all that stuff so i think this is gonna i think you know he should know that this is gonna be one of his last chances if not his last chance to get you know that nice sign you know nice contract and be with a team that has confidence in him because if he if he messes up this time i'm not sure he's gonna get a lot more chances it's his last shot as far as I'm concerned. He's got to do it. And again, he doesn't have to go out there and catch 112 passes for 1,700 yards and 12 touchdowns. But he's got to he's got to prove that he can stay on the right side of the line, so to speak. And this is a team that values the Ticats, that is, that values locker room culture. And I just can't see them adding a guy like Duke. And, and I – and three down did an interview with Orlando Steinhauer and he said like, we did our due diligence on him. We know what he's done, but we think that we can get him in our building and we can keep him in line. 
And that's the same. Like, I don't mind guys being emotional. I don't mind guys being fiery, but you have to do it in the right way. Like you said, he can't be on the sidelines getting penalties, costing the team games. He can't be swinging helmets at people or, or spitting on people, which has been alleged from him numerous times in the past year and a half. So if he can just play football, but he's if he's got to play with an edge, that's fine. But play with but play football with that edge in the right way. You know what I mean? Now, do you feel like maybe because you saw what the Saskatchewan what happened to that Saskatchewan team last yeah. year? Craig Dickinson running the show. Do you feel like he was a pushover coach and maybe, you know, because I didn't necessarily hear bad things about Duke Williams when he was with Edmonton. Yep. I think under Jason Moss, if he has like a stricter head coach that's going to keep him in line, then maybe that'll work out. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. But I also wonder if it has to do with winning, too. Like, if you're 12 and 2, you're not worrying about what some schmuck from the Argos is saying to you because you're just like, look at the standings, buddy. You know what I mean? Like, when he was in Edmonton, they were a decent-ish team, playoff caliber team. Last year in Saskatchewan, they 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 weren't. And I think that And he that was getting was, his touches. You know, he was getting his touches in Edmonton. He was getting his yeah. yards. He was getting his touchdowns. So that makes him happy as well. And he's got to be frustrated because he dealt with injuries last year. Like I said, he only played in eight games last year. Like, that's got to frustrate a guy, too, because he's coming back. He didn't play much in, in 2021 because he came in late. Like, I think he signed with the with the Riders in October of that year. Played a few games, played in the playoffs. Then comes into, you know, re-signs with the Riders. Comes in on a big contract thinking he's going to be the man. And then, you know, injuries are, are has him in another lineup and then ultimately ended his season. I just right. I think there was a frustration there. I'm not going to put the entire blame for it on being, you know, on Craig Dickinson on being with no. the Riders, but there was no. definitely some discipline issues with that team. Right. But like I said, this has followed Duke. Like he did, he got booted off. Like he was a junior college transfer to Auburn, and then got booted off the team because of. And if you look it up, it's they no one's ever said what it is, but it was, you know, unspecified team rules. It's like so he has had, and you can get a, to me you're 21, 22, 23, and you do something stupid. I don't hold that against you. He's pushing 30 now. It's like, now it's time to kind of smarten up. And he's been around, he's been a professional long enough that he should know not to do these things. And I just think that if there's, if there's a team in the league that can get him back in line, it, it is this team. We'll have to wait and see if it works, but if it doesn't, I don't think he's, he's here the entire season. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if he gets out of line in week five, he's not there in week six. Like this, like I said, this is probably his last opportunity because if he doesn't do it this year, he'll be 30 going into free agency next year. How many teams are looking to take on a 30 year old that hasn't put up any significant numbers in half a decade. That is also a, a bit of a knucklehead. Like you're not, yeah, you have to do a cost benefit analysis. And at, at that point you're thinking, I'd rather have the 23 year old that's never played in the league. Maybe he could be better. Cause we don't know mm-hmm. than to bring in yeah. a guy that could, you know, upturn the entire organization, if you will. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of like a Duran Carter type of situation, yep. right? You know, talented guy, but just, you know, you just can't really count on him. And uh, I know that uh, Chris Jones brought him back last year, but that didn't really work out very well. So, and I'm sure Duke Williams was a little frustrated as well, you know, playing with Cody Pajardo and, you know, he throws up, It's ba- you're basically playing 500, uh, you know, the way that he throws deep balls, he just arcs them up in the air to the, to the moon and there's no, you have to stop, the receiver have to stop and run back 15 yards for deep balls. So I'm sure that wasn't very fun. Probably not, but hopefully he'll have some fun playing for the Ticats this year. Okay, the final veteran we're going to talk about is Braylon Addison. Injuries have limited him to just 11 games over the past two seasons. So it's pretty simple with him, Mike. 
Do you think the Ticats can rely on him to play a full 18 or close to it? Or is that player that took the league by storm in 2019 just no longer capable of reaching those heights? That's it's a tough question. Like I'm not I'm not sure to be honest with you. I I think if he's healthy and he can he can play, maybe he's a different type of player now. Maybe he's not the guy that can stretch the field, but more of a possession type receiver like a fan twos or a or a Dave Stalla, but with a little bit more speed, you know what I mean? So uh, my expectation for Braylon Addison um, are for him to stay healthy because that's what I hope happens for him and the team because I, I do believe he's a tremendous talent and can still contribute to the Ticats. So I, w- I would put expectations, you know, 750, 750 yards to be that third receiver um, but still contribute quite a bit. Okay, that was I was going to ask. Where do you have him in the pecking order of receivers, but you said you got him third, and that's kind of where I'm slotting him yep. in too. He could be a high end third or an mm-hmm. average third, as long as he's not a below average number three. I think we're okay. the The thing with the injuries is they're not. It's not like he injured his hamstring in consecutive seasons. You know, like rupturing your Achilles. That I mean, Darian Durant did that years ago by simply stepping backwards. So like right. it's the injuries are concerning because he's also getting up there in age. I think he's 29 now, so, but I don't think he turns 30 till after the season, but he he's 28, 29 getting up there in age has played receiver with almost a running backs mindset in a lot of ways. I know he, he was capable of the deep stuff, but he's always been kind of an intermediate to high intermediate guy. Obviously had, had taken carry to the backfield. Like that 2019 season, he was like a Swiss army knife for the tabbies. Like he was, he did whatever they asked of him. And he put up phenomenal numbers. I don't know if you can use him in that way anymore. But if he's healthy and can get get back to even 85% of that, that's right. a hell of a number three for the team to have. But it yep. is it is the concern. Like, like I said, I'm not overly concerned with the injuries because it's not like it's been the same thing hampering him year after year. But you do wonder if if again, maybe it's this is one of those things like that year off did hurt a lot of guys. Um, right. I think we saw some guys come back in 2021 and we're like, man, they're, they're a shadow of who they were. And then in 2022, it's like, oh, they didn't get any better. Like, I think, I think Speedy was one of those guys. Like, I know you said, who is he? But Brandon Banks was one of those guys where I feel like that year off, he didn't look great in 2021 with Hamilton. And he didn't really do all that much with the Argos last year. Won his championship, the Argos won, blah, 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 all that, you know, good for you. But I do wonder if maybe that's also had it taken its toll. Like Andrew Harris, I don't think has been the same player since 2019. So these older guys that maybe for the first time had a year off, maybe it kind of, it was worse for them than it would be for someone who's say 24. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. I totally get that. And, you know, the thing about Addison is he's a tremendous route runner. So yep. even if he doesn't have that speed that he used to have, uh, I, I still think he's smart to make up for it. He's a very open. smart player. It, yeah. Precisely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. What about some of the unknown guys? I know we don't tend to focus on those players as, as often as maybe we should, but is there anyone out of those, like those young guys that they're bringing back or the ones that they're bringing in that you've kind of, you've seen their resume and kind of have your eye on as we get heading towards training camp? Well, I think I'm on the same page as you when I say Anthony Johnson. I Absolutely. think that he got he got into not many games last year, maybe one or two, but he had, you know, he showed some glimpses of of what, you know, he can do on the field. So, he's a taller target. 
I think he's going to be slid into that fourth receiver spot. And uh, we're going to see some good things from him this year. Yeah. Do you think he's going to be the guy that plays wide receiver? Like he's not the waggle guy, but he'll replace, you know, the Dunbar who replaced Acklin in that role as because he's probably more accustomed yeah. to that too, coming from the American game might be an easier way to acclimate him into sort of, cause I'm with you. I think he's going, I don't know if he's going to stay the team's fourth receiver uh, or the fourth American receiver for this team all year. But I do think that he has a leg up having been with the team last year in training camp I thought he was – everyone who listens to the show knows that I'm high on Anthony Johnson. I was singing his praises mm-hmm. all throughout camp last year. When he got into the lineup, I was super impressed. Like, he did some good things. He didn't get a ton of action, but he – you know, I remember there was a big, long catch against Winnipeg. I think he fumbled at the end of it, but he still made the deep catch. Like, he's got a lot of talent, and he's a big – he's one of the bigger dudes. I think he's something like 6'2", 6'3". So he's a bigger receiver. That's something that this this receiving course kind of lacked the last few years, so that's nice to have. So I just don't know – like, there's a lot of guys – this is a team that – they find guys like their their ability to scout receivers is almost second to none. But I, I'm with you. Anthony Johnson's kind of the guy, the first guy, the first name that pops out on the page. Anyone and else? Terry, Terry Godwin, um, yep. he's got some speed. I could see Anthony Johnson and Terry Godwin fighting it out for, for a position, uh, a starting position on this team. Who else we got here? Poppy White's an interesting one. I know he's mm-hmm. not, you know, a young guy, but like where is his position on this team? Because he's... He's shown some good things in the previous years, but he never really uh, got a starting spot in that receiving core. Yeah, and he's se- kind of ceded that returner role to Lawrence Woods, so mm-hmm. it, it is in- really interesting to see. I- I'm with you on on Godwin as well. Uh, he's got a, we saw him a little bit last year. I think he played in two games, but he's got a good college pedigree. Played at the University of Georgia. Did not look out of place, in my opinion, when he played last season. Poppy White's an interesting one. One name. No one really talks about because he, he just re-signed with the team in a way, and I'll get to it, is Khalil Lewis. He's a guy that I'm kind of interested in. He was with the team in training camp in 2021. But since that was the year of COVID protocols, no one really got a chance to see what he could do, and there were no preseason games. So he didn't get a ton of chances to show out even when we could see stuff. Like with preseason, like if you went to a preseason, like normally there'd be a preseason game at home, and sometimes we're lucky enough to get the second preseason game televised or live-streamed. But there were no there was no preseason in 2021, so all those guys then didn't really get a ton of opportunities to show what they could do, and we didn't get a chance to see it because those practices were closed because of COVID. You couldn't have people in the stands. So I looked at his resume; he had a very productive career at the University of Cincinnati, and I, the team obviously likes him that they're bringing him back almost two years later after letting him go. So this team does have some young receivers, and and the guys we haven't talked about like. You never know who's going to break out. And this, like I said, this team has, has had such a tremendous amount of success finding these quote-unquote no-name receivers. It wouldn't be surprised if one or two of these guys sticks on the practice squad and by the end of the year. They're out there making plays and helping this team you know, win games, get into the playoffs, win playoff games even. Yeah, because you know there's going to be injuries, unfortunately, and there's going to be opportunities for guys to step up. So yeah, that's how you make it in this league, right? People go down, you come in, you prove you can play, and then you get either get signed by that team or another team sees you and has interest in you, right? So that's what happens. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about the team's Canadian receivers. We already mentioned that they have moved on from Lamar Durant. I took heat last year for calling him a bust about midway through the season. But yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say that his signing was a complete failure. It was not. He played in 11 games last year, caught 12 passes for 112 yards and a touchdown. For comparison's sake, Keandre Smith, who was a rookie last year, 
caught 17 passes for 247 yards and a touchdown. And Tyler Turnowski played in 10 games and caught 14 passes for 183 yards. So before we get to the, the guys that are still here, I, I just want to touch on Durant because it'll probably be the last time we talked about him. Given that he was a veteran and a highly paid one at that, I think it was fair to classify his season last year with the Ticats. It's a massive disappointment, no? Yeah, I think it's fair to characterize his career as a massive di- yeah, uh, disappointment. Really. Because this is a guy that came in. He, he was a high draft pick, I believe. Uh, a lot of hype. And he's just he just never even came close to living up to it. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think uh, the signing last year, you you know, we expected him to come in. I was pretty excited with that signing. And I got in a Twitter beef with Mike Jones because of it. Right, exactly. And he just did nothing on the field. He was he was it was like he wasn't even there. So yeah, it was a massive bust. Yeah, he came into the CFL with Fantusian like enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he he went, I think he went in the third round to Calgary, but I remember he kept falling. And it was like I remember that draft, you know, being on on online during that draft and just like, how is this guy falling? How is this guy falling? And it's like then you see what he's put up since he's been in the league for seven or eight years. You're kind of like, oh, it mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. I guess those those talent evaluators know what they're doing. Anyway, let's talk about the guys that are, that are here now. Both Turnowski and Smith, who we just talked about, they'll return for the Ticats for the third and second seasons, respectively. But they will be joined this season by a pair of free agent signings and Levi Noel and Chris Osikusi. I, I was shocked when I when I did the research for this. Believe it or not, Noel is entering his eighth season in the CFL. He's what? Yeah, it's his wow. eighth year in the CFL. He was drafted Jeez. 31st overall by Toronto in 2016, and he has played. I think he played four seasons with the Argos, and he was with the, also with the Red Blacks and the Elks. So he's. I, I was stunned that he he had been in the league that long. And OC Kusi mm-hmm. joins the Cats after two seasons in Edmonton after he was the 30th overall pick by Montreal in the two, uh, 2019 CFL draft. So both guys could play receiver if need be, but I think they were both kind of brought in more to be depth pieces and special teams players, which is where both of them have contributed uh, in the past with their previous teams, something that Noel himself has excelled at. He's been one of the best special teams guys in the league over his career. Yeah, that's probably why he's still in the league, right? Absolutely. Canadian guy who hasn't done a ton of the receiver, but you can play special teams. You can, I mean, he's he's going on close to a decade in the league. That's not bad for, for a professional mm-hmm. football career for a guy who hasn't put up a ton of actual offensive numbers. So when you think these are the four guys, that maybe they'll draft someone, but these are probably the four guys that are in the mix to start, to be that fifth receiver. If you look at the four, who are you kind of pegging to be that receiver to start the season? And then what do you kind of expect in terms of numbers for whoever does get that starting job or or, or total from those guys in those positions? Because we said their numbers last year. Like you look at the, the three main Canadian guys. I know David Unger was part of it as well, but you're looking at around, you know, 40 catches or somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 yards and a couple of touchdowns. I mean, if that's from one player from your fifth receiver, that's not bad. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, I don't know much about OC Kusi. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know how good he is or if he has potential to be good. Um, so I, I'm going to stick with uh, Keandre Smith as that fifth position guy. Cause he, he got a lot of reps last year. He showed some flashes. He had some mistakes, but I do believe that he can be a, a really decent receiver in that fifth spot, you know, give you 400 to 600 yards receiving. So I think that Smith takes that starting spot. And then, like you said, I think that, you know, Noel going to contribute on special teams. And I think that he will probably be the backup to, uh, to Smith. So what do you think, what do you think they do with Turnowski then? 
because he yeah, he was a high draft it. pick. Hamilton boy has put up some decent numbers. Injuries hampered him last year a little bit. Is he kind of the odd man out? You think? Like I don't, I don't I'm think I, I'm, yes. not gonna, I'm not going to ask you if they're going to cut. I don't think they're going to cut any of these guys. To be quite honest with you, like right. I think they're they're Canadian guys. Turnowski can play special teams. Smith, all mm-hmm. four guys can play special teams, so they're all going to have a role on the team. But I, I'm just kind of curious where because I was really high on him when the team got him, and I th- I've liked what I've seen of him in in practices and a little bit in games. But I, I'm with you. I'm kind of higher on Smith a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think he's got more speed and he's a little bit bigger. But yeah, what what do you think? Where do you think Turnowski kind of slots in on this team? Yeah, I think he'd be a special teams guy, maybe uh, on the practice roster. I'm not sure, but uh, you know, they, it seems to be like four or five Canadians in the receiving position is, you know, there's probably one too many there. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure who's going to be the, the guy out because I do, I do like Tarnowski as well, but I, I, I just don't know with the additions and um, the potential of Smith, if he's going to get uh, a lot of time on the field. Makes sense. Makes sense. Anything else you want to discuss about the receivers? Are you ready to move on to, to our next player pyramid? Yeah, I, I think we've, uh, We've touched on uh, what we can touch on with the receivers, so I'm ready to plow ahead. All right. Next time we get together, Mike, you and I will be discussing off the offensive line. So that's got to be – this is your bread and butter, buddy, so you better bring the mm-hmm. heat next week. Yeah. All yeah. right. New week, new show. That means a new player pyramid, and this time we're going to give it a go <laughs> with 20 of the league's top receivers. Uh, Mike has a five-tier pyramid. I have a six-tier one, but they're both 20 players long. But before we get started, I will ask, like I ask every week – when you made your pyramid, Mike, did anything kind of stand out to you? Did you find this easier or harder than the past pyramids? Just kind of your general thoughts. Like, what do you have here in sort of your general thoughts before we get into the nitty gritty of releasing our lists? It was tougher than the quarterback pyramid, not as tough as the running back pyramid. I did more rearranging mm-hmm. than I had in the previous two, just because maybe there's there's more players and you know, you take a look, Oh, maybe this guy should be higher. Maybe this guy should be lower. So I changed it around a lot. I'm not even sure if it's perfect as it is right now, but we'll go ahead with it. But I had a lot of fun making. it. Yeah. I, I found this one a little harder than the others for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we only gave ourselves one week to make these lists as opposed to two that we had for the previous mm-hmm. two lists. Uh, secondly, there are a lot of good receivers in this league, like a lot of good receivers. And, that means some really good players got left off the list. And at the, at, when we're done, I will go over some of the guys because Mike and I are not going to have the same list, but there's going to be some guys that I left off that he did and so on and so forth with the QBs and the running backs. I felt like I had to stretch a bit to get to 15. Like I knew like this, cause you, you know, you got your starting quarterbacks and you got your high end backups and then you're kind of around that, you know, 12, 13 mark where you're like, okay, you're, you're really stretching to get guys on there. And with the running backs, it was a lot of, like projection. There's not, there wasn't a lot of veterans here. That's the opposite of it with this list. There's so many veteran players that it, it was like, there's a lot of, again, we'll get into who was left off and all that stuff. Like, but there was just, there was just so many receivers that I found that to, to make it harder. And that that's, and one of the reasons we were deciding to do 20 players this week instead of 15 is simply because there's so many more receivers. So with the customary preamble out of the way, let's unveil these bad boys. We'll start as we always do with the bottom row. But since Mike, since I have a sixth here on mine, I'll go first and then we'll start with you on the five. If you, if you're okay with that. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. So here's my bottom tier, my, my sixth tier. Keon Hatcher from BC, Tyson Philpot from Montreal, Reggie Bagleton from Calgary, Duke Williams from Hamilton and Shaq Evans from Ottawa. This tier I'm kind of calling my prove it tier. 
with Shaq, Duke, and Bagleton, it's about proving they still have it after they all kind of had down years or injury-hampered ha- seasons a year ago. And with guys like Hacker and Philpot, it's more about proving that last year or parts of last year was the start of something and not them being a flash in the pan. So you got I got a three veterans down here who all at one point probably had a claim as a top five guy that now after a down season, down season and a half, you're kind of like, oh, what do they still have left in them? And then with Hatcher and Phil Putt, it's those younger guys. I mean, Hatcher's the third option in BC. They got a quarterback change, which we're going to get to as I unveil some of the other BC receivers that I have on my list. And with Phil Puddits, he's entering his second season, but he's got a lot of talent. He was a first round pick. Like there's, there's clearly something there with them, with him, but can he actually real? can will he take that next step in year two, if that makes sense? Absolutely. That makes sense. Uh, my fifth tier is all right. Let's hear it. It's, it's shorter than yours. It's a uh, Darrell Walker, Darvin oh, okay. Adams, Darvin Adams and Reggie, Reggie ba- Bagleton. Okay. Um, you know, Adams at one point was was a really good receiver. I thought he fell off in Ottawa last year. Now he, he was still close to a thousand yards, but I, I just didn't see that superstar that he that he was, you know, back in the day. Um, same with Bagleton and Darrell Walker has been on the decline for a couple years now. I just didn't see the effort. And I know that it was a terrible situation at Edmonton, but I, I just felt like he kind of gave up. So these are guys that could, you know, rise again. They could, they could be, you know, a third tier, fourth tier guys. But I just, you know, they've fallen off, and I have to see them regain that uh, that play that they had a couple years ago. So we kind of have the same in our, in our bottom tier. We kind of have the same guys where we think, like I added a couple youngster guys, but with the veterans, it's guys like. They, that have performed in the past that you have it, it for you. It's also a prove it here. It's prove to me that these, mm-hmm. these guys are still the players they were when we loved them so many years ago. Uh, my fifth row is Steven Dunbar jr. Dominique Grimes, Kean Schaefer Baker, Greg Ellingson and Rashid Bailey. This row is all guys who I think have performed at very high levels, but I have questions about them. So for Dunbar, it's whether he can be more reliable on a game-to-game basis. We saw him look dominant at times with the Ticats, but also disappear for games at a time. Like, he had five touchdowns, I think, in the first six weeks, and then I don't think I had another one until near the end of the season. I also wonder, question, whether he will live up to the massive contract he signed with the Elks. They gave him $200,000. That's a lot of money for a guy that has 1,000-yard season on his resume. With Dominique Grimes, it's whether he can be as dominant as he was last year without Nathan Rourke. He exploded, set career highs in catches, yards, and touchdowns. I just need to see him be able to do that without an elite-level passer like Rourke before I feel comfortable kind of putting him in the upper echelon where his numbers last year would suggest he's a you know top three-tier guy. Let me let me his time in Ottawa before didn't really show that. So let me see what he can do without having an elite passer in Rourke before I'm really ready. Schaefer Baker is the guy that I had the hardest time placing. I genuinely thought when we initially did this that I would have him higher, even a level, maybe even two levels up. But when I looked at the guys that I put above him, that's just I don't think there's I don't think there's a guy on a on a level above him that I would trade like trade for him. You know what I mean? Like I think he's a tremendous talent. I think he he can prove me way wrong with this, but his ranking almost has less to do with him and kind of more to do with how highly I think of other players. Uh, Greg Ellingson, 
Still a great player, but I have injury and age concerns with him. Played just eight games last year after playing 10 in the COVID-shortened season the year before. And he's 34, and I just wonder how much gas he has left in the tank, especially now that he'll be asked to kind of carry the load as Montreal's number one receiver versus last year in Winnipeg. He was he was brought in as a number two. His time in Edmonton, he was number two to uh, Darrell Walker. His time in uh, Ottawa, he, he was a big player, but he had Brad Sinopoli there. So this is the first time that he's really had to be the sole focus of the passing offense. And I do wonder, as a guy that will be 35 at the end of this year, whether or not that he still has it in him. And with Bailey, he was awesome last year, but the Bombers brought back Kenny Lawler. That pushes Bailey down the depth chart. And I just don't know what type of numbers he's going to put up with so many mouths to feed in Winnipeg. And I do expect the Bombers offense to take a step back, at least from a production standpoint this season. Like Zach Claros threw like 38 touchdown passes last year and was like the first guy to throw that like over 35 in like something like almost a decade. I think it was like I think I think the most touchdown passes thrown other than Claris was when Burris threw 40 something for the Ticats mm-hmm. in 2012. So it's like. If Caleros takes a dip and throws 28 touchdown passes, so nine, I think he is 37, 38. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but well, there's 10 touchdowns that are going. Who, who is Kenny Lawler's going to get his? Dalton Schoen's probably going to get his. That means Rashid Bailey kind of takes a step back. So, so that's that's my that's what my fifth tier looks like. All right, so my fourth tier is Stephen Dunbar, Shaq Evans, Duke Williams, Braylon Addison, and Greg Ellingson. Okay. Now Dunbar is an up and coming guy. Um, showed some flashes last year, had some great catches, but I still think that he's, you know, hasn't proven that he's a star in this league yet. Shaq Evans has had some great seasons in Saskatchewan, kind of fallen off. Same with Duke Williams, uh, Braylon Addison, only because of the, you know, the injuries. We'll see how he does coming back. Hopefully he rises. And uh, like Greg Ellenson, like you said, I mean, he's getting up there in age. The injuries have been a problem, but I, I still think that he can do well in an offense and, and can, can contribute. Um, and maybe he's a riser as well. But at this point, I I can't put him any higher than four. Yeah, I, Ellington was a guy that I think I initially had in my fourth tier. But then as I did some rearranging, took him down. So I definitely understand that. Uh, my fourth level, I have Dylan Mitchell from Edmonton, Malik Henry. Nick Dembski and Lucky Whitehead. These are all guys that I really like. I think they're all really talented guys. Dylan Mitchell, much like I did with Kevin Brown last week, I'm planting my flag in the Dylan Mitchell ground, although I haven't heard his name come off your lips yet, so I think you have him even higher than I do. But Dylan Mitchell's, I, I like if I think I would have him even higher than this if Edmonton didn't sign Geno Lewis. Like I'm I think this guy his 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 emergence kind of last season. Uh, when he got into the lineup and his presence on the team is one of the reasons that I think Edmonton's going to take a, like I'm really high on the Elks, maybe higher than I should be, but I think they, they, they're the team. And I, I know we've talked about this before. And I think, cause I think you kind of agree with me on this. They're the team that's going to go from non-playoff team to playoff team. I don't know which team's going to fall back in the West, but the Elks are making the playoffs this year and, and having a guy like Dylan Mitchell who showed so much last year is, is a big reason why, like, I think he has, leading the league in yards potential and the only obstacle in his way is really the fact that he now plays second fiddle to Geno Lewis Uh, Malik Henry. I think he's clearly surpassed Bagleton as Calgary's best receiver. And I think he's just simply going to improve on all of his numbers from last season. Dembski was hard to place because as a receiver, I think he's really good, but not great. 
But what he brings to Winnipeg's offense with his versatility is almost unmatched by any player in the league right now. I do think his touchdown totals are going to drop. He caught 10 last year, which is nearly half of his career total and more than double his high from any other season. And like I said, I think Winnipeg's offense is not going to be as explosive, as productive. So I feel that's why he's can be no higher than a fourth tier guy. Whitehead would probably be a second tier guy if I trusted his quarterback more. So much like Rhymes earlier, I kind of need to see what he can do without Rourke before I pencil him in as a as a as a top five guy in the league. And for me, he's also low key an injury risk. He's he hasn't played a full season. He's thirty. I know that people think he's younger because he's only been in the CFL for three years, but he played three seasons in the NFL, so he's got mileage on his body. And, you know, he got a little nicked up last year. I know he came back early from that injury, but there's, um, there, there's you know, sneaky injury concerns with a with a player who's in his 30s. You know what I mean? You get, the, you get those guys in their 30s, you start wondering if those nicks and bruises take a little longer to heal up. So that is my fourth tier. All righty, my third tier, we got Dylan Mitchell, Keon Hatcher. Malik Henry, Whitehead, and Dembski. Wow, you um, Hatcher up there. That's high. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I I I like Hatcher a lot. Yep. Um obviously I like Dylan Mitchell a lot. I you know, you said that you could see him leading the league in receiving. I, I think I, I think that's possible, and I think it's possible that he gets a look in the NFL after his, oh, his contract yeah, for sure. with, with sure. Edmonton. I don't know. I'm not sure how young he is. I think he's fairly young, early 20s, mid 20s, something like that. So I think he, if he, if he produces really well, like I think he will. I think he'll get a look down south. Malik Henry's become, like you said, Calgary's best receiver. Lucky Whitehead's a guy that is so exciting. Like if he has, if Vernon Adams can get him the ball, if Dane Evans can get him the ball, uh, he has the speed and the dynamics and, you know, all that good stuff, the excitement. He's, he's, he's a joy to watch. So I think he could be a riser too, if he can get the ball a lot, uh, he can do some great things on the field. And then Nick, Nick Dembski is, is just, he's, he's reliable. He's a Swiss army knife. You can hand him the ball. Maybe he's not the best receiver in the world, but, but he does, um, everything well, you know what I mean? Ask him to do anything and he'll do it. So that's why those guys are in my third tier. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, just for the record, Dylan Mitchell is 25. He will turn 26 in May. So, okay. So yeah. If yeah. he's he's I I, w- I would assume he played one year in Edmonton. I would assume he signed the standard two-year contract. There's mm-hmm. a good chance he'll get an NFL look after this season. All right. Third tier. Mine is three players: Tim White, Jalen Acklin, and Curly Gittins Jr. Any of these guys could I could have placed higher. We talked a lot about Tim White earlier. So we won't go too much into it. But like I said, if I had one knock on him, it would be that he did not have a great start last year. He finished strong. But if I'm going to put a player in that elite of the elite class, I need to know that you are reliable every week. And I just haven't seen that out of white yet. Still a great player, but not top of the top yet for me. Jalen Ackland, man, is it just me or are people sleeping on him? Like, I feel like no one's talking about Jalen Ackland this offseason. Finished last year seventh in catches with 75 fifth in yards with 1169 despite having some of the worst quarterback play of any player we saw last year he only had two touchdowns but again i think that that's more of a product of being in a especially when lapo was there a terrible offense as opposed to sort of any failings on his own i think he kind of went from overrated because i think when he left hamilton a lot of people were like oh you know ty cats letting go of a great one and like maybe thought he was higher than he was to underrated now because no one really talks about him in the span of a year. I I guess though, that's what playing for a losing team does. You know what I mean? Kind of 
you know, put you into irrelevancy. Uh, and the last one on this tier is Gittins. At one point, I had Gittins a row above, but for as much as I like him, that question at quarterback has me concerned. It's one of the reasons why he's the only Argos receiver I have on my list. He, he's talented. Don't get me wrong. I, like, I'm a massive fan of Curly Gittins Jr. I wanted him to sign with the Ticats in free agency. It didn't happen. I think he's just at the peak, like the tip of what he can do. I think he's going to have an exceptional career. I think there's an argument. He is. I think he is. I don't think there is an argument. I think he is by far the best Canadian receiver in the game. And I think there's an argument that he's a top five guy already. But that quarter, like the only thing, in my opinion, that will stop him from getting reaching mm-hmm. those types of, you know, Andy Fantu's level heights is that massive looming question at quarterback. Like if he had a more known commodity at QB, like if the Argos had traded for Dane or signed Trevor Harris, something like that, I think he leapfrogs one of the guys in my second tier and be, and, and joins that sort of upper crust. You know what I mean? But because of the questions, I, I had those questions with BC guys. That's why they were knocked a little bit. I have even bigger questions when it comes to the Argos quarterback situation, but I have such faith in Gittins that I still feel comfortable having him in the third tier. All right. So my second tier is Tim White, you know, a guy that could be in the first tier after this season. There's no question about it. Uh, he has the potential to be a top three, even top receiver in this league. Jalen Acklin, great receiver, dependable. Like you said, put up good numbers, even with, you know, terrible quarterbacking in Ottawa last season. Uh, Curly Giddens Jr. showed he's a star in this league last year. I got to see another season of production until I put him into that first tier. But, you know, one of the best Canadian receivers, if not the best in the league right now. And then Dominic Grimes. And I, I, I completely understand your logic of putting him a little bit lower because of the tremendous play of Rourke last year at quarterback. But I just feel like Dominic Grimes made some tremendous catches. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end zone that, you know, weren't necessarily perfect balls by, by Rourke, but he made it happen um, with some circus catches. So that's, that's why I have these guys in tier two. All right. My second tier is a pair of Winnipeg receivers, Kenny Lawler and Dalton Schoen. Last year at this time, Lawler was the consensus, maybe not unanimous, but definitely the consensus best receiver in the league. And he put up great numbers with Edmonton last year, despite missing six games. And he was well on his way to topping all of his career highs before from the season before, before he got hurt. So I'm not going to ding him for a quote unquote down season. That wasn't really all that down, but despite me having him this high, I do think he could be the one guy I've hanged. I've ranked high that could look foolish a little later in the year. Like I feel like depending on what Winnipeg does offensively with as much talent as he has, we could look back at this and go, Oh, he, you know, Rashid Bailey over like usurped him for that number two role. And maybe it wasn't smart for the, for the bombers to bring him back. But as of right now, I think there's no question that he's in the upper crust of the league and shown. He was amazing last year, led the league in everything. One rookie of the year, you know, even with the bombers, bringing back Kenny Lawler and my belief that there's will be some regression from Winnipeg's offense. I still think Sean's going to put up great numbers, whether he, you know, leads the league in everything. I don't know, but he's, he's still going to be a, a top tier guy. So I got one guy left. I, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to talk about Kenny Lawler and Dalton Schoen, then we're going to talk about the same guy, but I don't want to assume and, and make an asset of you and me, so why don't you tell us who you got here? No, you're right. I got, in my first tier, I got Geno Lewis at the very top. You know, there's no order necessarily in these pyramids, but 
I will make an exception and say Geno Lewis is the top of the first tier for me, uh, the best receiver in the league, in my opinion. So Geno Lewis, Lawler, and Dalton Schoen. Um, now, you might – the case for Schoen to be in maybe in the second tier or third, I, get, I totally get that. I just think that, the, you know, the numbers were so good for him last season. Like you they, say, were, they, were ridiculous. they were ridiculous for yeah. a first-year player. They were insane. And, yeah, for a first-year player. And, you know, he apparently didn't get looks in the NFL because he was a product of the waggle. Um, and that's fine. But, you know, to perfect the waggle in the first year of the CFL, it doesn't mean anything to the NFL. But in the CFL, it means a lot. Impressive. He Very can impressive. use that to his advantage. So he's been great. And uh, that's why those three guys are in my first year. I think they're going to be near the top of the league again. Uh, I know that Lawler wasn't near the top of the league last year, but I think that this will be a bounce back season for him. And he, sh- even in Edmonton, when he, uh, you know, they had a, a tough year, he made some great catches when he wasn't injured and showed that, you know, he's a star in this league. So Lewis Lawler and shown in my first year. I do wonder now that you bring up the waggle thing with shown, if he'll be less effective, if the bombers try to use him less than at slot and more at receiver to try to get right. him that those NFL looks, will that, will that take away some of his, his abilities that he, he showcased last year. It's an interesting thing to follow. Uh, my top tier is, is one guy, one guy only it's Gino Lewis. We had the discussion a few episodes ago, a few episodes ago, and we kind of came to the same conclusion that Gino Lewis is the best receiver in the CFL. I wasn't sure if there was any argument against him before we did this, but after doing this project, I don't think there's any argument. Like, there's no argument against it. Gino Lewis is the best receiver in the CFL period. We can sing his praises all we want, but we don't have to. Anyone listening who watches the league knows how great he is. What about some of the guys you left off? Who did not make your pyramid that you tried the hardest to get on? Well, I had a guy that I just took off, and I can't remember who it was. But it was, you know, I think there's a couple guys that um, were on your list that weren't on mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't even think of them. Like, there's uh, guys Tyson that Philpott was uh, one. Yep, Tyson Philpott. Uh, I don't think you had Keen Schaefer. Do you have Keen Schaefer Baker? No, here? I didn't have Schaefer Baker. That's no. a surprise. You're See, gonna hear. You're gonna hear. These guys that like I just like missed. You know what I mean? Because there's so much talent out there. So you're uh, you're gonna hear about that from Ryder fans when they. I'm gonna yeah, make sure. I yeah, that's fine. Like Mike didn't think Keen Schaefer Baker is one of the top 20 receivers. In, we're gonna get so much engagement for that. I don't think you had Rashid Bailey yeah, yeah, on yours. I think those are the right. Yeah, guys. Rashid. I knew. Yeah, Rashid Bailey was a guy that I I felt like was just outside of the 20. Yep. Um. But Shaver Baker, like that, just that was just a thing that just completely I completely forgot about him. Maybe because he didn't have, he kind of had a lackluster year last season. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess he was on the Riders, right? So yeah, everyone, everyone did. But Every, uh, yeah. you know, there's a couple guys that probably should have been on my list that didn't make it, but uh, that's okay. That's the way the cookie crumbles. You, I didn't yep. have Darrell Walker, or Braylon Addison on mine. Um, honestly, there were about ten or so guys that I considered. For, for for somewhere on the pyramid. My biggest omission, at least for our audience, is Braylon. But if I want to be consistent, the reason I left Addison off the list is the same reason I left Andrew Harris off my running back list last week. Now, you didn't leave Andrew Harris off yours, so you don't have to deal this, mm-hmm. but my reasons for no Harris, he hasn't played enough. Well, the same is true of Braylon Addison. Braylon Addison actually played fewer games over the last yeah. few years than Andrew Harris has. And while I think he has all the talent in the world, until he can show he can stay healthy, I have to keep him off. Now, there's a big difference. Addison is 29 while Harris is 35. But I also think Addison's injuries have been more severe for the position he plays. Like an, a ruptured Achilles, I think, is more 
damaging than what did Harris have like a pec tear or something like his was like a yeah, shoulder so. or chest thing last year. So again, not as, not as detrimental to his position as it would be if it was knee injury. And if I ignore all those red flags with Addison that I used for Harris, simply because I like Braylon more, all those accusations I got of bias against the Argos would be true. And I'm, I try to be fair. I try, you know, mm-hmm. facts over feelings, but I am curious to see how tie cap f- fans react to my reasoning here versus how Argo fans reacted to where I put, you know, Harris and Chad Kelly, a lot of solid vets from last, uh, you know, last year maybe would have made the list this year. Didn't uh, another guy you had on your list, Darrell Walker. I didn't have on mine. Jake Winicky is another guy who, if we Ooh, did this, yeah, that's a good one. We did this, if we did this last year, Jake Winicky's on this list, but yeah. he had kind of a down year last year. DeVaris Daniels, same sort of thing. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, that was the guy that I took off. That was the guy that I took that off. Was, yeah, I took off Daniels. Daniels. Yep. The two guys though, that I tried, I tried the hardest to find spots for that just missed the cut were Markeith Ambles and Kayon Julian Grant. So it, maybe I should have put Ambles ahead of someone like Duke or Shaq Evans, but I I did downgrade the BC guys based on their quarterback situation, so it's only right that I do the same for an even more questionable one in Toronto, and that was why I left Ambles off my list. For Julian Grant, it came down to him and Tyson Philpott for Wick Young, Canadian Alouettes receiver I was going to rank, and I just think Tyson Philpott has a higher upside, so so I went with him, but that's... That's about it. So uh, next week, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Because we're talking offensive line, we're going to talk Ticats offensive line. Then obviously, we're going to talk the league's offensive line. Instead of trying and likely failing to do a player pyramid, you know, comparing tackles to guards to centers, I think it's just, it's it's too much work, to be quite honest with you. And we like to have a little fun with this. Not We don't want to make it too much homework on ourselves. We're instead going to take the player pyramid, put it away for a bit. And we're going to power rank the offensive line grouping. So it's going to be one to nine power ranking. So that should be fun. And I'm sure, you know, just like our quarterback rankings, you know, our quarterback pyramid and and our running back pyramid. And, and once we release this into the wild, you know, there'll be no complaints. There'll be no, no like we'll no. do one to nine in, in the power rankings for the offensive line. And everyone's going to agree with everything we do, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't see, I, I don't foresee any, you know, trouble online from people, you know, it's, it, everyone will agree with us and it will be uh Happy, happy, joy, joy. Yeah, Twitter's not a cesspool. It's a nice place where everyone gets along. All right, let's move on. It's game time. We're going to play a new game this week that we are calling A or B. The concept is simple. We'll have a question and have to pick either the A or B answer. Make sense to you, Mike? Yeah, I think I think I get the concept. All right, let's get into it. Last week, during the annual JCC Sports Dinner in Vancouver, retired NFL superstar Rob Gronkowski joked about signing with the BC Lions. Gronk spent 11 years in the NFL playing tight end for the New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where he won four Super Bowls and became one of the greatest tight ends in NFL history. Now, Gronk was clearly joking about playing in the CFL. He's got a cushy uh, cushy gig with Fox Sports and made over $70 million during his football career, not to mention the countless millions he made as a spokesperson, the money he made when he was in WWE for a, for a short spell. Gronk's not hurting for money, but let's act like he was not joking. And the idea of him playing in the CFL is legitimate. So... If Gronk did play in the CFL, he would be A, as dominant as he was in the NFL, or B, would flame out like so many NFL superstars before him. I'm going to go B, flame out. Oh. Uh, at, this, at this stage of his life, mm-hmm. and his, I just I just don't see, like, where are you going to put him? Like, are you going to line him up in a slot? He's going to run gonna run the waggle? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't know. I just... Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time. I, I just don't know at his age and his, his size um, on that big field. I, I don't know if it would work out. Yeah, the problem with him is is the position. 
his position doesn't exist up here. Mm. Um, and and since we, you know, I think he would be a dominant red zone threat. You get inside sure. the five yard line, he's gonna score. He's gonna score every time you throw him the ball. Mm-hmm. But to answer the question with this, I'm with you on B. I think he would flame out because I just don't think his position doesn't exist in this game. I just don't see how he would how his game would translate to the Canadian yeah. game. That's unfortunate, but he'd be a hell of a personality and a great guy to have around the league. But I just don't think he would, uh, he would do all that well up here. All right, next up, Mike, this is a story that you hit me to that I missed and features another retired NFL megastar and the CFL. It was reported by Bozo doofus, Rod Peterson, that none other than <laughs> NFL legend, Tom, Brady. I thought you'd like that. That NFL yeah. legend, Tom Brady. Yes. Tom Brady was interested in buying the Montreal Alouettes. This story has been shot down by CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, saying in classic Ambrosi speak that he does not recall ever having a conversation with Brady. This is kind of a non-denial denial since the story that, you know, Bozo Doofus Rod Peterson put out there was that Brady was part of a group interested in buying the team, which means Ambrosi could have talked to someone associated with that group, just not Brady himself. But that's, you know, neither here nor there. Peterson has sources almost as dubious as that dude who said Bo was going to sign with the Riders because he bought a house in Regina. So I take what Roddy said with a massive amount of salt. But let's have fun with this and treat it like it could have actually happened, Mike. So Tom Brady, being part owner of the Alouettes, would have been A, great for the league, or B, an abject disaster. I'm going to say great for the league. I mean, if if he and his group, or whoever was, you know— Whatever the situation might be, uh, I, I just think that that's that, you know that's a big name to bring to the CFL. Uh, you know, if he's fully behind it, you know, I'm sure he has enough money to uh, finance oh. the. You know, he's made a lot of money over the time uh, in his career. So, and then he, I think he's you know signed a massive deal with Fox Sports to be a broadcaster as well. So, um, I think the money would be there, and you know, if he's if he's at Montreal at games promoting the, the, the team, I don't see why it would be a disaster. So Brady has deep pockets. He made over $332 million during his player career, has another $375 million coming to him from his 10-year contract with Fox to become their lead analyst of NFL broadcast, and has a current estimated net worth of over half a billion dollars. So he's not PKP wealthy. But he's no. still more than rich enough to have bought it. Like he, I, owner, like maybe he just didn't want to spend his own money. But he doesn't need to be part of a group. He could have bought the team. He could buy the mm-hmm. league outright if he really wanted to, with the amount of money he has. I'm kind of with you. I think this would have been really good for the league because if if he's part of the ownership group, but he's he's and especially if he's got this job with Fox, where maybe he's doing their like Fox Sports, you know, talk shows. Like he goes on on a thing like. Uh, right whatever the stupid Skip Bayless show is. He goes on there and he's, mm-hmm. he mentions like, and, and this would have been big. If my, if Tom Brady would have bought the Alouettes, this is on every sports station in the U S everyone is right. covering this. Tom Brady is part owner of a football team in Canada. Like that would have been mm-hmm. a massive story. And Brady has such a well cultivated public persona like, he's a weird dude. Like, we all know about, like, you know, he's never eaten a strawberry in his life. Like, what? You never heard that? that? He's never that's eaten. Like, yeah. That's like Charlie from the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, never eating a pear. Yeah. Never eaten a strawberry and believes that drinking water can stop you from getting sunburns. Like, he's he's oh. gone full, like, you know, he's he's a little nutty with it. Like, he mm-hmm. does. And he's got, you know, the TB12 method and all that other sorts of weird stuff. But he would have been on TV talking about this. Like, 
and his public persona is one of like pe- people ignore that stuff because they're like, oh, it's Tom Brady. Like, I hate <laughs> I hate Tom Brady, but a lot of people mm-hmm. like Tom Brady. I think this would have been great for to have someone like that that you could, you know, one of the great. Like, I know a lot of people say he's the greatest of all time. I'm not going to go that far, but one of the greatest players and one of the most prominent players in football history. Like, mm-hmm. more, Tom Brady is probably more well known than any other football player that's ever played the game just because of, you know, he had a famous wife and he played for so long and he was like the face of the league and he's won so much. Like, I don't see how that's anything but good for the league and especially for the Alouettes. Like, that could have been – we know how fickle the Montreal sports fan is. People might show up just if they say, oh, Tom Brady's going to be at the game today. People might show up just, maybe I'll catch a glimpse of Tom. And they could have sold out a, a stadium just based on that alone. So I, I, I'm with you. I think it would have been absolutely great for the league. I think it'd be kind of similar to, you know, when John Candy owned yep. the Argonauts and he was on David Letterman saying, buy Argos tickets. You know what I mean? Yep. It would be something like that. So, And if this was even remotely true, don't you think that like Adam Schefter or yep. somebody would be like, hey, you know, Tom Brady's kicking the tires on the Alouettes. So someone other than Rod Peterson would have broken this story. Precisely. I agree. Precisely. All right, we're going to stick with the Montreal Alouettes here, and we're going to have to talk about the man that simply will not go away, and that is Alouettes, my former Alouettes minority owner Gary Stern keeps verbally diarrheaing all over Twitter. On Friday, this schmuck tweeted, and I quote, the USFL and XFL believe U.S. great market for football. Why wouldn't areas in Detroit, Buffalo, Philly, Chicago, etc., be great markets for the CFL? Stadiums available four-team division, some crossover. Stern got mostly roasted for this because, honestly, it's one of the dumbest things he's said in a long line of dumb things that he has said. But let's placate Gary here for a second and act as if the CFL is thinking of putting teams in the U.S. once again. The CFL expanding into the United States, Mike, would be A, a roaring success, or B, a complete failure. I'm going to have to go with a, a complete failure. Of course. I just don't see where there's room for, you know, the XFL and the USFL and the CFL in the States. Um, you would think, you know, that's why these spring leagues keep popping up because football is so huge in the States that I think, well, there's got to be room. Like they, they got to be interested in football all year round. And it just, you They're look not. at the attendance, you, they look at the attendance of the XFL, you look at the the TV numbers and they just keep dropping and dropping and dropping. And, and it's just, it's just not feasible, especially, especially in those cities that Gary oh. Stern was talking about, like Buffalo, Detroit, like, come on. Like if you're going to put um, alternative football leagues, you know, put them in cities that don't have teams already. And it, it's shown not even to work there. So yeah, I, I think it'd be a complete failure once again. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Yeah, to me, it's complete failure. No question. The cities he mentioned were idiotic. Like I, we were talking expansion last year. We were, I don't know if we said it on the show or if we were talking after the show, because you and I had a long conversation after the show talking about a bunch of stuff. But you mentioned Portland as a city. Mm-hmm. Like, could Portland work? Because they don't have a pro football team. And it was like looking at sort of the, you know, the Idaho's and the Iowa's and places like that, like. Could Wisconsin, like I know Wisconsin, I know they have the Packers, but Wisconsin, could that work? Like, you know what I mean? Like those border, but like, you're not putting a team, like, as shitty as the Lions are, 
no one in Detroit. Well, actually, you know what? Maybe Detroit they would. They'd be like, the Lions suck. Although the Lions are <laughs> might actually be pretty good this upcoming year. We're going to check out this new team. But there's no chance the CFL team would work in Buffalo. Even when the Bills are terrible, they sold out that stadium. Philadelphia and Chicago, you're out of your goddamn mind. Like, mm-hmm. the cities, that, it was one thing for him to be like, oh, the USFL and the XFL believe the U.S. is a great market for football. Which, I mean, duh. But yeah. just... It, <laughs> Why wouldn't these cities work? Because they have NFL teams. And the last time a CFL team played in the same city as an NFL team, the CFL team moved because they were like, we can't compete with the Mm -hmm. Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore and the Stallions moved to Montreal. And I know that that ended the CFL and USA experiment. But mm -hmm. if the Browns don't move to Baltimore, I don't know if the Stallions move to Montreal. Like they might like if if there's no Baltimore Ravens, there might still be a Baltimore Stallions. You know what I mean? So he was very successful. Hugely oh, there, they so. because they were starved for football. But the second yeah, same they got thing NFL in St. Louis, team, right? Yep. Second they same got thing NFL with St. Louis and NX and yeah, XFL right now. Don't... They're getting thirty thousand, forty thousand people. Yep. But you know, maybe the NFL looks at that and it's like, hey, we should go we'll... back there. And then it's done. Yep. Oh, well, that's just it. Because if you look at like the only XFL, USFL, like the US, they all do these hub things, but Seattle did really well. I think we talked about this. Actually, I think we must talk mm-hmm. about this. I think we talked about it last week. The first iteration of the Sea Dragons did really well in Seattle. And Seattle's a really great sports city, but not this iteration's not doing very well. Like no, they're not they're not, not selling out that that stadium. So no, no, it's it's just not a it's just not a good idea. All right, last thing here, Mike, and we're going to end on a much lighter note. This past weekend, comedian musician B. A. Johnston released a song called "I Love You As Much As the Toronto Argos Suck." It is sure to be a smash hit and features such amazing lines as. I hope they never win again. I don't care. They only got like 16 fans. The only thing better than an Argos loss is holding you tight in my arms. I love you so much. I'll buy you $12 Coors Light. And you're not going to make me cry like the Grey Cup in 2013, (laughs) 2014, 2019, (laughs) 2021. If you have not heard this song yet, you really need to go out of your way to listen to it. It is tremendous. I sent it to my 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 season ticket holder buddies in a group chat after I shared the song with them, and I said, "This is now my exclusive love making song." <laughs> Oddly enough, that was where the conversation died. So I guess my friends right. do not care to discuss my love making rituals. Yeah, which I got to be honest, I find kind of hurtful. But that, but huh? that's neither here nor there. But anyway, Mike, B. A. Johnson's "I Love You As Much As The Argos Suck" is a a great song, or B. the greatest song ever. Well, Mozart. <laughs> B.A. Johnson. You know what I mean? That's the just list. The greatest song of all time, I must say. It's just so heartwarming and and truly a great love song. Uh, a generational love song by a generational talent. Move over uh, Celine Dion. We've replaced you. Yes. Move over Barry White. You're 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 trash <laughs> compared to this guy. You know what I mean? And I, I was not familiar with this. Uh, B.A. Johnson's work uh, previously to this, but rest assured, I, I'm going back into his catalog because if he can, if he can make a, a masterpiece like this, there must be more gems in his library. Oh, he put out the, the his, his album's called Argo Suck. I didn't listen to the whole album; I just listened to the song, and I've listened to it a few times. Like I was listening to it today to refresh myself, and I'm. You know, during, you know, I love you as much as the Toronto. Like I'm singing the song during the day, and I'm like, it's in my head. This thing's catchy, man. This thing's catchy. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
and it's anyone who absolutely like, ridiculous and outrageous and that's that's the point of it it's supposed to be funny and yes. fun and all that stuff it's magnificent it and really is get the stick out of your ass argo fans who took this way too <laughs> yeah, seriously right? yeah like like oh up, yeah Francis. how can we suck we won the great cup last year yeah, and, uh, did you see some of his replies though like some no, of his replies no. are like, well, so and so wins all the time, but they still suck. Like it's right. It, yes. Yeah. It, it was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous. But what this tells me, Mike, is we need more CFL related songs. Like absolutely. there's some Tiger Cat songs. Like I remember there was a song from the '80s. I think it was called "Running with the Tiger Cats" or something like that. Our mm-hmm. theme song is a Tiger Cat based rap song that a Houston based rap Kendall Untamed made in 2018 for. Uh, Don Unambo when he was with the Thai Cats, and then we got permission to use it as our intro. I, I know there's a couple, there's been a couple rap songs released by some local artists. There's a song called Brandon Banks that was released in like 2014, I think. And there's like a video of him on YouTube, and he it, they're in front of Tim Hortons Field, and it's like it's it's pretty catchy. I remember back in the blogs blogsy wee wee days, I had a young guy reach out to me to help him promote his Thai Cat rap song. It was like 2010, 2011 or so. I remember thinking it was pretty good, but kind of dated itself by using like player names. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it would talk about like Kevin Glenn and Chris Williams yeah. and got, so it was like the shelf life was short, but I remember liking it quite a bit. Obviously, you know, Ty cats are home by the Arkells. He used to play it at the mm-hmm. game all the time, but there's just, there, to me, there's not enough of it out there. So like there's some stuff, but just not enough stuff. And I hope you can smell what I'm cooking here. Can, can you? Are you, are you making a song? Not, not me. <laughs> okay. We, oh, we got to make an entire Podsky album of CFL wow. songs. Now I have no musical talent whatsoever. Me neither. No, I mean, no, me neither. You, ju- you just heard me sing the chorus, and I'm sure mm-hmm. people might have turned the show off hearing me Quite sing. Possible. Try, try that rendition yep. of it. But I'm thinking, you know, just like with this show, there was no tie cap podcast out there. We saw the opportunity. We opened the door. We had to do it. Now there's a there's a few Tie Cat podcasts, and there have been numerous Tie Cat podcasts over there. I mean, we're the longest running. We're still here, but we saw the opening and we took it. There's an opening here for some uh, for some CFL based uh, music, and I don't know if we can. Uh, the opportunity's maybe, there. I, don't know, I, I can <laughs> probably play a cowbell. Maybe maybe you know blowing a jug. I, I got some friends that are pretty musically talented. Maybe they could. I do have an acoustic guitar in my house. Uh, it's not mine, but I could uh, <laughs> maybe le- learn to use it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I just, I mean, if no one else is going to make an album of like, like we could do an, uh, you know, an, we do a, a pro Ticat song and then we do like a diss track. Maybe we'll have to do a rap album. We'll do it. We'll, maybe we'll, we'll have to do, yeah, some, some disses. We'll do yep. eight diss tracks for the other team. We'll throw in a ninth because we'll diss the Schooners as well just because. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do a, a pro Hamilton anthem. And uh, we'll, we'll we'll fill the void once again like we used to do. I I hope people don't take us seriously in this because I'm worried that people are going to hear this and be like, we no, want to no, hear no. that album. It's like, guys, no, you know, We but, are not creating any music. No, there's no way. There's more CFL-related music out there. That's my that's yeah. my key. The Ticats do have a fair bit, but I, mm-hmm. wish, I wish we got more of this. I, I feel like... Was there a Stompin' Tom Grey Cup song? I want to say there was, but you, I'm not sure. You could, I mean, no. I know that there's like, you know, there are fight songs and stuff like that. Like, you know, right, those, yeah. those cats, those tiger. You remember that? I used to play that mm. tiger, old Ivor win. But mm-hmm. like, we need an update of that. We need, we need Canadian artists from coast to coast to come together and write a song for each of their CFL teams. And then I think we're cooking with gas. But we, I yeah, mean, we have ours. 
Now, and I'm, I'm, and you know, just uh, get get Drake to talk, rap about the Argonauts, and then they'll sell out every game, right? There you go. There you go. I mean, BA song's not like a Thai cat song, but it essentially is. But it's a, it's definitely, it's definitely a love ballad, and it is something that will be played in my apartment numerous times when young ladies are over. All right, that was Pod's review for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat 'em raw. Eat 'em raw. <laughs>